I'm Andrew Schweitzer, and you're listening to the Boxing for Free podcast. Uh, first off, let me say that unlike the last podcast, I'm not doing this one coming off of working a 40-hour rotation week at work and then not getting any sleep before recording this. Uh, that's kind of why I didn't like the last podcast I did. I was more satisfied that I had just made one instead of, hey, this is a really good episode. I'm glad that I made this. It was just kind of like, well, I'm glad that I made an episode there. I, that way I can't be accused of laziness for a month. And there, just filed it. Uh, this one, I've got some better material for it. And there's a lot more to discuss. And uh, there's a lot of exciting stuff coming up. So uh, let's get right to it. Andre Ward could have a fight coming up, and believe it or not, this time it won't be in a courtroom. No, believe it or not, the person who's calling out Andre Ward is Carl Froch, the man who lost to Ward back in the finals of a Super 6 boxing tournament back in 2011. Froch has previously said before that he wasn't open to a rematch with Ward because he said that Ward would probably just outbox him and win a decision. But uh, a few months later, Froch has changed his mind, and uh, he was speaking to the Daily Mail, and he said, quote, I fought him in the U.S., now it's only right that he comes over here. To be a truly great champion, you have to box overseas. Ward needs to be forced to travel out of his comfort zone. I dare him. He will discover that I'm a very different animal here than I was on the night in the boardwalk. I vacated the IBF title so as not to delay James DeGale from getting his chance any longer. But I'm not willing to give up give up the WBA title. No way. I will only go back in the ring for a fight that really floats my boat. And when you think about it, beating Ward in Nottingham would be a fantastic way to end my career. Uh, oh, yeah, unquote. <laughs> I like this change in attitude from Froch. I really do. I'm not always a big fan of uh, the talk that he does, but... I will admit I was disappointed when he said that he wasn't open to a rematch with Ward, but uh, now that he is, if I'm Andre Ward, I would take it. Seriously, just take it. What is Ward waiting for? He's not getting a fight with Golovkin. He hasn't, I don't think him or his team have shown any interest in that. Uh, He's not moving up to the 175-pound division because apparently he's not ready or big enough for it yet. So why not just say, okay, I will go to England, I will fight Carl Froch, I will beat him, and I will humiliate him in front of his hometown crowd. There's nothing to really lose for Ward because he fought Carl Froch a few years ago and he did it with one hand. Uh, if I recall correctly, it was his left hand that he broke or uh, fractured in the fourth round, and he still won a decision. The fight was not very close. I mean, I think the most you could give Froch was three rounds. So what is Ward waiting for? Un- unless he's trying to get another lawsuit from his newest promoter, uh, uh, just doesn't make any sense for Ward to constantly sit on the shelf and spend more time on TV as a boxing analyst than an actual fighter. He is wasting so much time not doing anything, and it's just a real shame because he is talented. But uh, I, I agree with Froch because Froch is, he's, uh, he, he, I think the uh, first uh, fight for the Super 6 tournament, he did fight in Nottingham. Uh, he got the decision, somewhat controversial decision over Andre Durrell. Then he went 
to uh, Helsinki, Finland to fight Kessler. Then I believe they went to Germany or I can't remember if it was Germany or not, but the, he fought Abraham. That wasn't in Nottingham. He fought Glenn Johnson and then he fought uh, Ward. And those fights, I believe, were both uh, in Atlantic City on the boardwalk. So, uh, yeah, and let, let's be honest, Frotch can draw. He can get big crowds to come in. Ward, uh, well, he hasn't fought in over a year. It will be almost a year and a half by the time he actually does get in the ring and do something. So, yeah, who, uh, how many people in uh, Oakland, California are saying, oh, I, I can't wait to see Andre Ward back in the ring? I, I doubt there are a lot. I'm sure, he got a big crowd for when he fought Kessler, but that was a big title fight. And they wanted to see if uh, he could step up to the plate, and he did. But at this point, I don't think anybody really cares that much about Andre Ward outside of the boxing world. He could be a major star, but he's not. And he, granted, he said that he never set out to become a star. But at the same time, it doesn't mean that he can't try. Anyway, I hope that fight happens. I hope Ward actually uh, makes a decision and does something with his career. Moving on. And this Saturday, boxing returns to NBC Sports as Robert Guerrero, 32 wins, 2 losses, 1 draw, takes on the undefeated Keith Thurman, who is 24-0 with 21 knockouts and is also the holder of the WBA welterweight title. Uh, This was a showdown that was supposed to happen, I believe, back in 2013 after uh, Guerrero lost to Floyd Mayweather, but... uh, it didn't happen. There were some. Uh, there was some talk that he was ducking Thurman. That Thurman was apparently too dangerous for Guerrero. But no, Guerrero's agreed to fight him. I think it's going to be a very good fight. Um, I've been going over both guys' records, looking at recent fights. Um, I think this has a. Uh, a, a uh, oh, see, I'm losing my train of thought already. But I think it has a chance to be a really good fight. Um, Guerrero has been known to like to stand and trade. He wanted to do that with Floyd Mayweather, but uh, Mayweather was kind of too smart to let that happen. But uh, he did it in his previous fight, and that was against Yoshihiro Kamage, or <laughs> Kamaji, I believe that's how you pronounce the name. Apologies to any Japanese who might be listening. Um, yeah, really a brutal fight his last one, but um, he has to be careful not to do that against Thurman. There is a reason why I think Thurman is one of the more avoided fighters in the welterweight division. He's just really good at what he does. He knocks people out, although, and this kind of shocked me, but I I, I don't know why I forgot it, but in his previous fight, Thurman uh, was only able to get a unanimous decision against Leonard Bundu, and for those of you who are unaware, Bundu was 40 years old at the time. And I was a bit shocked that uh, Thurman, you know, with all the uh, youth, uh, speed, and uh, energy on his side, he couldn't uh, knock out this, uh, you know, this older man. Let's be honest, uh, it was kind of expected because Thurman had uh, knocked out, I believe it was uh, four of his last six opponents. So, uh, I don't know. Uh, Here's how I see this this fight going down. If Guerrero is smart and... uh, boxes intelligently he has a chance to uh you know show this kid that he's still got a ways to go but uh if Guerrero decides to stand and trade like he wanted to do 
against Mayweather like he did in his last fight, then he, he might get knocked out, unfortunately. Thurman has a lot of power. It's why a lot of welterweights don't want to fight this guy unless they have to. But uh, I think if Guerrero fights smart, he can get the decision. So I'm picking Guerrero. And on the undercard for that uh, main event, we have Adrian Broner facing off against John Molina Jr. Broner is coming off his tougher-than-expected 12-round decision victory over Emmanuel Taylor back in uh, early September of last year. And John Molina Jr. uh, is coming off of two losses. The first one was the... uh, the really good fight with Lucas Matisse, which he was knocked out in the 11th round. And uh, back in September also, he lost a unanimous decision to Humberto Soto. Uh, this is a fight that Molina really needs to win if he wants to stay relevant. Broner, uh, I think he learned a lot from the Maidana fight. I think he learned that he can't really overlook anybody. Not anymore if, if he wants to you know, keep his swagger and not look like a fool. But uh, I think this is uh, this has a chance to be a showcase for Broner's skills. And I think that uh, the only way he can lose is if he makes the same mistakes that he uh, did in the Maidana fight, not take him seriously and overlook his ability. Because Molina, John Molina Jr. is talented, but I just don't see him winning this fight. Uh I think that Broner will win a 117-111 decision over John Molina. And while those fights are taking place this Saturday, the following Saturday, March 14th, we will see the highly anticipated light heavyweight championship fight between Sergei Kovalev and Jean Pascal in Montreal, Quebec, Canada. Uh, this is a highly anticipated bout. We thought that we might see Kovalev versus Adonis Stevenson, but Adonis Stevenson has other plans like facing former super middleweight champion Sakio Bika. Yeah, not a fight that exactly says, ooh, you know, must-see TV, but uh, Pascal versus Kovalev should be pretty exciting. And in true uh, true form, HBO did one of their uh, documentary Road to Pascal Kovalev, and they're doing it smart this time. You know, HBO, for years, they would just air the program strictly on HBO, and the only way you could see it without HBO is if you uh, were on YouTube before they took it down. And I said that's a dumb mistake because you're chancing, you're killing any chance of anybody seeing the program and then saying, oh, hey, maybe, maybe I'll subscribe to HBO. Who knows? They should do that with the fight game, you know. Just, uh, <laughs> just let it air on HBO and then a week or two later put the full episode online. That way I can criticize it much easier instead of having to search constantly on YouTube for anybody who might have uploaded it, but they can't because they find it biased and boring. Uh, But anyway, let's go and take a look at The Road to Pascal versus Kovalev, or Kovalev-Pascal, whichever one you like more. Uh, The episode opens in Montreal, and we see that Sergei Kovalev is actually sitting at a table with a huge stack of boxing gloves, and he's just signing his name on them, which always makes me wonder, like, how much... Does he charge for his autograph? If I said, hey, Sergey, could you sign this glove? And, you know, how much would that cost me? I'm excited about my career. And I'm very happy where I am right now. We then shift to Jean Pascal, and he gives his philosophy, which shows a lot of the big problems with fighters in boxing today. 
there's two kinds of boxers in this sport. There's boxer who likes to make money and boxers who likes to make history. We are the two best fighters in the division and that's why we face each other to see who's the best. Now, please don't interpret that as me saying that Pascal's philosophy is a flawed one. It's not. I love fighters who say, oh, you know, to hell with the money. I want to fight this guy. I want to beat him to show everybody that I'm the best. You beat everybody. You show that you're the best. The money's going to come in. I, I don't know how else to put it, but if you're doing a good job, if you're drawing crowds and you can do that in Montreal, Pascal has shown that he can do that, then you're going to get money. I don't think Pascal's hard up for money. A reigning world champion who is willing to face the best available challenger in the challenger's hometown. For me, it doesn't matter where I'm fighting, e everywhere. If i true champion, I will be fighting everywhere with any fighter. I know that the odds are 4-1, but I love that. I love to be the underdog. So we get our first look at Kovalev. He's uh, going to his training camp with his wife and his uh, newborn son. He's only like a few months old. And the first thing I noticed about Kovalev was that he, he has something on his nose. And I thought, oh, he's got this, he's got a bandage right across his nose. So he must have gotten that, gotten a little cut or scrape and sparring or something. But if you actually look closer, it's not a Band-Aid. At least how I see it. It's not a Band-Aid. It's actually one of those Breathe Right nasal strips uh, available at Shoppers Drug Marts all across Canada. And maybe a Rexall if you're into crappy drug companies. Um, no, um, it's just a, a Breathe Right nasal strip so that uh, he can maximize uh, the ox uh, oxygen input that he's uh, going to do while training. So uh, I don't think I've ever seen that before. His career was developing... He had the impressive string of knockouts. You're wondering, okay, when is the big fight going to arrive? And all of a sudden, after a 2014, it began to look as if it was going to be difficult for him, as if he was going to have to be very patient in terms of finding his big fight. Along came the biggest fight he could possibly hope for. And that was the fight with Bernard Hopkins, a fight that I said that Hopkins was going to win and give Kovalev a boxing lesson along the way. Wow, that was a really 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 dumb prediction that i gave and uh not my worst of 2014 but uh no it, it's definitely in the top two or three <laughs> yeah well, can we move on from that i knew that i can punch him right uh, hand when he comes to me and i counted this like couple steps and i catch him solid right hand that Kovalev threw. He has extraordinary power. And we all know the story after that. He just goes on to dominate Hopkins every minute of every round. Uh, the only good moment that Hopkins had was when he kind of, it looked like he hurt Kovalev, but it, it, he actually just tripped him. And then Kovalev came back two seconds later. Hopkins was sticking out his tongue. And even Kovalev says, I don't know why he was doing that because I just punched him again. Maybe it was to show Kovalev, oh, well, you can't knock me out. Well, no, he, he didn't knock Hopkins out, but he sure hurt him and humiliated him. So then we jump to Las Vegas, Nevada, where Pascal is holding his training camp. And I got to say, I do admire the honesty of his barber who's cutting his hair. Because I, I have a feeling that the guy does say, you know what, I, I think Kovalev's got this. Sorry. And he's just doing the, uh, the, the basic non-denial denial. denial. And trying to say, oh, yeah, no, Jean, you, you've totally got this. 
What do you think about the fight? My honest opinion is an opponent is a very dangerous opponent. But I think you have a lot of athleticism to you that can probably uh, capsize it. I see a lot of upset happen in boxing. And it's supposed to be an upset, if, if you ask me. No, it's Bec supposed to be an upset for the world, but not right. for myself and my team. Right? Because you know what you're capable of doing. Exactly. They mentioned that Kovalev, or sorry, not Kovalev, but that Jean Pascal won the light heavyweight championship back in 2010 from Chad Dawson, but then he lost it when he uh, fought Bernard Hopkins for a second time. But uh, one thing that's always kind of amazed me about Pascal is that those who do fight Bernard Hopkins twice, they're kind of damaged goods, and a lot of fighters usually are damaged goods after they fight Bernard Hopkins once. Like, Jermaine Taylor fought Hopkins twice, won twice, but was never quite the same afterwards. Kelly Pavlik, good luck. I mean, that guy, I think Bernard Hopkins kind of ruined him, and he was just a shell of himself up until the Martinez fight, which was kind of a mini-me version of the uh, Hopkins fight for Pavlik. Um yeah, but Pascal, uh, he has not shown that he's really damaged goods yet. And uh, maybe what is a contributing factor to that was who he brought in to help with his training for his past two fights. It's been a long time that I've been working with Mark. It's human nature to get comfortable with that person. And me, I'm always trying to improve myself to get better. So I said, why don't you try to work with Roy Jones? Like, prime time, best of the best. Pascal had mentioned previously in the uh, episode that what really made him fall in love with boxing was when he first watched a Roy Jones Jr. fight. And in my opinion... This is what Roy Jones Jr. should be doing now. If he's not doing work on HBO, he should be working as a trainer. He's apparently done good work. He, you know, I've spoken with Millerad Zizek. He's loving all the work that he's done with Roy. And Jean Pascal seems to be enjoying it too. And that showed during his fight with Lucien Boutet. For Pascal, this was a huge, huge fight against Boutet. The fact that it was in Montreal made it that much bigger. Pascal came out at the beginning of that fight in classic Roy mode, in the crouch, with his left hand dangling so low it's practically scraping on, on the canvas. Hey, we hit, we hit. Oh, count it out, baby. There you go, there you go. Hard right hand by Pascal. Left hook lands. And he throws the left hook three more times. That's it. That's what I want right The Pascal that we saw that night believed in himself, was very sure of himself, confidence was a huge product of that alliance. To the winner by unanimous decision, Jean Pascal! I was kind of surprised that they did not mention what happened in Pascal's previous fight, the fight with Belanti, which ended in a no contest and was very lucky to uh, not end in, in a disqualification loss for Pascal, but I guess like the... Uh, you know, the steroid testing for this fight, I guess they just didn't have enough time. It's not like HBO can schedule these things to, you know, be 30 minutes instead of 15 like they used to be. Oh, wait, maybe I should stop talking now. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I really did like this. I thought that it could have been longer. I mean, I did like how these used to be a half hour instead of just, you know, th this one, this one wasn't even 15 minutes. It was 13 minutes. 
and that's not counting all the uh, intro and end credit stuff. So uh, work on that, HBO, if you could. Anyway, that's all we have for you this week. We hope you enjoyed the latest edition of the Boxing for Free podcast. You can find us online at www.boxingforfree.com. That's boxing, the number four, free.com. Twitter.com slash boxingforfree. Be like Arislandi Lara, Robert Guerrero, Berman Stavern, Miller Zizek, Adonis Stevenson, Glenn Johnson. Wow, that's a lot of famous boxers and hundreds of others. And follow us on Twitter. Go to youtube.com slash boxingforfree and like us on Facebook. Go to facebook.com slash boxingforfree page. You can subscribe on iTunes, Podbean, and several other podcast directories. If you use iTunes, give us a review and let everyone know that the Boxing for Free podcast is your source for boxing news and commentary. I'm Andrew Schweitzer. Thank you for listening, and we hope you tune in next time.